invite you now, if you're able, to take um, your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And the words to which I would call your attention come to us this morning from verses 35 through 38 as we close out this chapter. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. As we read now, we remember that this is God's holy word. It is His inerrant word. It is His inspired and authoritative word. And we read it as an act of worship. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, as Your sheep, we come now to reading and thinking about Your Word. Uh, In other words, we come to verdant fields, to green fields, where uh, the grass never withers, it, it never wears out. Your Word last forever, and as long as we feast upon it, so also will we be strengthened to continue in your service and to glorify you. Please work in us now. Would you cause your spirit to strengthen our hearts, strengthen our convictions, that cause us to be a, a people after your own heart. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that uh, I've tried to bring out for you as we've worked through Matthew's gospel is to remind you that, um, that as Matthew was writing, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, it wasn't, it wasn't his goal just to, these are not journal entries. Um, we're not going back to September the 1st in the year 5 AD um, and looking at what Matthew wrote down for that day. Remember that John said in his gospel that if he had recorded everything that Jesus said and did, how many volumes would it have filled? So guess what? When we, when we enter Christ's kingdom in its fullness, in its consummation, there are going to be a lot of things that we continue to learn. We'll find out more of the things that Christ did in his earthly ministry. So under the uh, inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are recording the gospel, but they're selecting scenes. Some of the things that they saw with their own eyes, some of the things that they didn't see. And they wrote them down without error, and they're writing them down in such a way that you will pick up the message. One of the things that we notice is that uh, Matthew here is at a transition point in his gospel. I want you to go back with me just for a second to chapter 4. Go back with me just a second to chapter 4. These men, writers as they seem to be, are using literary devices 
just like you or I would do, or your favorite author, to convey a message. They want you to pick up on the plot of the story, the rise of the story, um, the, the conflict in the story, the crescendo of the story, the resolution of the story. So we notice Matthew 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now turn back with me to chapter 9. We're trying to be careful readers here. Notice with me chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Now turn over with me in chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Why am I bringing this to your attention? Well, because you need to be careful readers of Matthew's gospel. And what you notice, he's using these words to signal something to you. This is a transition point. The, the, the action of the narrative is about to shift. Now, this is probably either some take it as a heading for the next section or the, the concluding remarks for the preceding section. I, I don't think it's either. I think it's just a transition point. We're moving from one, uh, one uh, aspect or one focus to another. And what we notice as we work through this is that Christ is doing two things, at least two things, in his earthly ministry that you need to notice, you ought to pick up on. The first thing is he's obeying his Father. Here is the second person of the Trinity who has existed uh, from before all time with the Father and with the Spirit, and now he has taken to himself your likeness. And so he's moving about in the towns and in the, the villages and he's preaching the gospel. We notice things like he gets tired. He lays down in a boat and he sleeps in the midst of the waves. We also notice that he can do things that no ordinary man can do. He can speak to the wind and the waves and calm them. And so Matthew is depicting for you a Christ who doesn't have one nature like you, but two. He is a human, and he is divine. But there's another thing that Christ is doing. Because he is a faithful shepherd, and because his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, he is providing for the ongoing work of that kingdom. So as he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he looked over and he saw Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he called those men to himself. And then he's walking by Levi, who is also called Matthew, collecting taxes, and he said, come with me. And as we get to this point in the narrative, in the gospel, we find that many people have gathered to Jesus. And his, as he's going through Galilee, they're following him, they're watching what he's doing, and he's teaching them. At our last transition point in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, do you remember the next thing that happened? Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on a mountain. And who did he call to himself? He called his disciples 
And they came, and perhaps he sat down, and they gathered around him, and he began to teach his disciples. Why did he do that? Because he's preparing them for an ongoing work. So the second thing that Christ is doing at this point is he is building his church. He is preparing the men who will carry the mission on after his ascension. So there are two things that are happening. Christ is accomplishing all righteousness in your behalf, going to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice, and he is building his kingdom by calling men to himself who will come after him. In a sense, he's providing for you. He's thinking about you. He knows your need. And he's providing for you as a faithful shepherd. Jesus was ministering and he was training. He was ministering and he was training. And as we come to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, we see something about him. This this transition point. He's getting ready to send his uh, disciples out. And in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, we recognize the need for Christ to send those men out. Why will he send the men out? We find out why in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And and I would just put it to you in this way, that Jesus, he's demonstrating his care by surveying the land, by showing compassion or pity to the people, and then by providing for um, their needs. By surveying the land, by showing compassion, recognizing the need, and then providing for that need. First notice with me in verse 35 that Jesus surveyed the land. I, I, I wrestled with a little bit how to present this to you. Uh, we, could say, we could say it this way, that Jesus, Jesus showed his compassion Uh, by going out to the people and ministering to them. That would be one way. But I think in terms of the way that the story is developing, this is proper. Jesus is surveying the land. He's going out to the people. Notice uh, what we read in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, what is the primary thing that you think Matthew wants you to notice in that verse? We might be inclined to say, well, Matthew wants us to notice that Jesus did these things. That he he taught and he preached and he healed. And that's an aspect of it. But the main focus here is on the fact that Jesus went. That's the focus. Jesus ministers by going. He ministers by going. The verb... The verb that Matthew uses, it literally means to go around. Now, um, around this time, a little later, there was a historian by the name of Josephus. And Josephus recorded that in this region of Galilee, which was on the west part of the lake or the Sea of Galilee, there were about 200 cities. 200. Some question whether Josephus was good at censuses or not, but he said that there were about 3 million people in that region. The smallest town, he said, was about 15,000 large. 
Matthew shows us, look at the verse with me. And Jesus went, he's going around. He, he was going around through all the cities and villages. Now, I think Matthew does you, or the tr- translators do a little bit of an injustice here because literally it says he went to every city and every town. He went to every city and every town. What does that mean? Well, a city is a, is a large place. These are the metropolitan areas. Uh, and so Jesus was going to the large cities, teaching, preaching, and healing. But he didn't neglect the small towns either. He went to the villages as well. He went out to the rural places. He went down to Progress, Mississippi. And what did he do? He would go in there, and he'd enter into their synagogue, and he would teach them too. I think that might be a lesson for some guys who are in seminary now because everybody wants to be a church planter in a metropolitan area. I want to go where the big crowds are. But notice, here's what you should notice, okay? Jesus went everywhere. He didn't neglect anybody. Because what does a shepherd do? Does he sit in Capernaum Say, man, it's pretty nice here in Peter's house. And wait for the people to come to him? No. Even though his fame is spreading throughout the region, notice that he is still going out to the people to gather them to himself. So Jesus ministers by going. But he also ministers by doing. He taught them. He preached to them and he healed them. Three activities that we see as he's going, he's doing all of these things. He is conveying to them information. He's proclaiming the kingdom to them. And he's healing, again, every disease and every affliction. Don't you wish you had that power? Don't you wish you could go down to uh, Punta Gorda or Fort Myers and, and heal every affliction and every disease? Jesus has that power. There's nothing that's outside of his authority. But he has come with a mission, and the primary aspect of that mission is a verbal mission. He sees to the spiritual and the physical needs of the people, but primarily he is a teacher and a preacher. And what do we see from from this, that Jesus is going around, he's teaching and he's preaching and he's healing, that Jesus has modeled ministry to us by two things, going and doing. This is it. What does it mean to to minister in the name of the Lord? Go and do. You, You don't expect people always to come to you. That's not what Jesus did. He went out. He 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 didn't uh uh keep himself from some people, he didn't go and say, you know, um it's a small town I bet somebody else is going to go there. I'm going to leave that for Bartholomew. Nobody even remembers him. He went everywhere. Jesus is providing for the spiritual and the physical needs of his people. He provided for their spiritual needs by teaching them. And he provided for their physical needs by healing them. The main thing that we see here is that Jesus went He searched. You remember that scene in Ezekiel? Um, The Lord commanded Ezekiel to go through the town, and he's supposed to take a a torch. And the idea is he's looking in the cupboard, casting the shadows away to find the people. This is how Jesus ministers. And you know that. You're here this morning. Why? Because Jesus is bringing you to himself.
you are his lambs, and he's your shepherd. And you know him because he found you. Jesus surveyed the land. But the second thing that we notice in verse 36 is that he recognized the need. This is a profound moment. I hope it won't be lost on you. Look with me at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now I'll be honest with you, this really pricked at my heart this week. Because as I'm thinking about Jesus' ministry, think, think about this with me just for a second. Matthew's not recorded any, there, there, so far in Jesus' ministry, there has not been a moment where some, a, a woman has come to him and she's taken her, 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 her jar of oil and broken it and anointed his head. Nobody's brought him olives or, or grapes or figs on a branch just as an offering. The only, all that we see over and over and over again in Jesus' earthly ministry is giving. And so he's giving and he's giving and he's giving. And, and what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is as you read this, what reason would you come up with for Jesus showing compassion for these people? You see, this is how I examine my own heart. How often am I, do I show pity for people because I think they believe it? And how often do I let my heart become stony because I think they don't deserve it? Jesus here is moved with compassion. This is one of those places where words fail. Um, the, word that, the word that Matthew uses actually refers to the bowels. So this is, this is maybe not one of those places that you would borrow for your first date. Um, you know, you've, you've moved my bowels kind of thing when I'm with you. But you, you see, this is the, the, the idea. And, and, and when Matthew uses it, it's a passive verb. This is one of the only places that you will find a passive verb related to the Christ. Why? Because something is happening to him. He is observing the needs of the people and he is, he is moved with his whole uh, being. One commentator says that pity doesn't serve it well, compassion doesn't serve it well, love doesn't serve it. it literally the idea is his heart is going out. His being is going out because he wants what is good for the people. Why does Jesus have compassion upon them? Because they are described as harassed and helpless. Harass, you could also translate that as they were skinned. They're in a helpless state. And here's something I, would, I think you should notice. It's not because they're poor. It's not because they're sick. Jesus' passion and his pity and his compassion are not toward a certain people just because they are experiencing some, some certain aspect of God's providence in their lives. It's not because they're sick. It's not because they're poor. It's because they are harassed and helpless. Jesus is surveying the whole population. The rich and the poor. The sick and the well. 
And as he's looking at them, he has compassion and pity upon them all because they are harassed and helpless. And what does this signify to us? This helps us right now to step back and remember the point in redemptive history. These are Israelites. They've been thrown out of the land for good reason. They were idolaters. They were adulterous, an adulterous nation. They had defied the Lord. He'd given them every blessing. His oracles, His law, His sacrifices, the ceremonial law, all of this had been given to them. And they said, we like Baal. And God cast them out of the land. He brought the curses to bear upon them. And and as you walk through Matthew's gospel, what do you notice? It's not just one curse or another. Some of these people are are, uh, possessed by demons. They are harassed by the spiritual world. And not only that, but, but they've gone through four successive ownerships. First, the Babylonians possessed them. Then the Persians and the Medes. Then the Greeks came in. And now the Romans are here. They don't even have their own land. They are subjects. They're slaves in their own place. Whether you're rich or poor. And Jesus is looking upon the people. And now do you see that the, the, the temperament, the disposition of God is changed. Now, He shows them pity. This takes us back, doesn't it? You remember, as Exodus opens, um, there are the people living in the land of Goshen, and they have taskmasters over them. They're beaten. They've got to make bricks. Moses shows up to make things better and makes it worse. But the people cried out to God. You remember? They cried out to the Lord, and He listened to them. And he heard their prayers. Here, Christ is coming to them and he is showing us that the disposition of God toward his people has changed. He pities them because now they are like sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. And I think on the one hand, there's, there, there's, a, there's a recognition by us that... Jesus can go to every town and he can go to every city. But as it is, enfleshed, as it were, he cannot possibly see to every need in that mediatorial role. More people are needed. So he recognizes a need. They need more shepherds. Now, God is ready again to gather his people. We are entering, as it were, in this moment, the next epoch, as it were, in human history. Now, the gospel is ready to go forth. He's ready to gather his people to himself. The pity of God comes again to his people. There's a need. Who's going to gather them? Who's going to gather them? Verse 37 and 38 show us the third aspect of this this narrative arc, as it were. Jesus surveyed the land. He recognized the need. And then thirdly, he provided for that need. Look with me at what we see in verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If, if you had the opportunity to go to a missions conference and to talk to a congregation about the need to do missions, you might go to this passage. You might try to stir up the emotions of the people saying, look, even Jesus said the, wheat, the, the, the field is ripe for harvest, but we need more people. We need more workers. Literally, the language is the harvest is big, but the workers are little. But I'm going to try to convince you this morning that this is not primarily about missions work. This is not a missionary call. Why why might we say that? Well, because all Jesus is doing is using a different metaphor for the issue, isn't he? What was the first metaphor? What was the first, what was the first language that he used? Well, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They, they, these are sheep. There are lots of sheep out here. And they need a shepherd to go into the cities and into the village, villages and gather them in. So what does he do now? He changes the metaphor. Now, it's a field and he needs laborers. What's he saying? How does, how does the missionary work of the church go forward? Well, it goes forward through the faithful labors of the shepherds of the church. It goes forward by the faithful labors labors of the shepherds of the church. So I want you to notice with me very carefully here. How does Jesus refer to the shepherds of the church? How, How might you think of them? They are day laborers. They are workers. They're not men who gather for a board meeting every now and then. These are the guys that God has employed to take up your sling blade and apply it to the harvest. You come in and you do what? You imitate the ministry of Christ, which was what? You go out. You go out to the people and you bring them in. Do what I do. And so now, now you see the whole point of this, this moment, don't you? What has Jesus done? He's taught them. Six months, a year, I don't know. However long. He, he called them in chapter 4. Here we are in chapter 9. The point is that these men have spent time with Jesus, listening to what He has said, watching Him do His ministry, following along with Him. And now, it's time to send them out. And what are they going to do? What He did. They're going to perform the spiritual ministry of the church. That's an elder. An elder goes out to the people, gathers them in, and teaches them the Word of God. And he healed them. What is that? A deacon. A deacon goes out, comes alongside the people, and he ministers to their physical needs. When I was a I started out as a deacon um, quite some time ago. And um, I went to my first meeting. And we talked a lot about changing air filters and light bulbs. And the budget. And then I read the book of church order. 
And I realized that that duty made up one-fifth of the duty of a deacon. One-fifth. So there are four other duties. What Jesus is presenting to us in this is that as we pray, pray that the Lord will provide officers to the church, what will we see them doing? Mingling. Mingling with the body of Christ, coming to your home, opening the word, helping you, counseling you, convicting you, correcting you. Likewise with the deacons, what will they do? They will come alongside of you. What do you need? Widows in the church, do you need your grass cut? How can we minister to you? And, and here's, here's how all of us can think of this together. Uh, um, as Jesus is providing for the ongoing health of his church, sending out men who will work, and it is work. I was listening to a podcast recently, and the, and, and the guy on the podcast said, if you are a pastor and you are not tired, you're not doing it right. Christ will not have his people go leaderless. Thanks be to Christ. His compassion, his compassion for you, listen, his compassion for you as his sheep compelled him to provide men for you who will go on. Now, he didn't invest them with the power to heal the bunions on your feet or to cast out demons anymore, but he has empowered them to come alongside you, to speak to you the words of comfort and compassion and to encourage you in your walk. And the reference to the men Christ calls as laborers suggests a lot about the work. It's not glamorous. Sometimes you have to come alongside people who don't want you alongside. (laughs) And as much as you will open the word with them and share with them, they will say, get thee behind me, Satan. It's rigorous work. It's difficult work. It's work that you will pour yourself into and you will die and nobody will remember you and that's okay. It's not a board membership or an ivory tower think tank. Serving God's people is work. But what we do remember is that those who do it well, according to 1 Peter 5.4, will receive an unfading crown of glory. And at the end of the day, when the work has been done well, and the elder or the deacon comes home tired from walking beside Christ's sheep, and he lays his head on his pillow... He remembers, Lord, thank you for calling me to this work. Thank you for giving me joy in it. Thank you for sanctifying me through it. And the one to whom you've ministered lays his head on his pillow. And he says, thank you, Lord, for reminding me that you love me through this man. Jesus demonstrates his care by surveying the land, recognizing the need, and providing for that need. This passage is a transition point now. 
As we move forward in the, in the gospel, we're going to start to see some new things begin to develop in the earthly ministry of Christ. But it all follows this trajectory. Jesus is demonstrating his power and authority, and he is walking toward the cross, and he is providing for your needs by raising up men who will follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we approach you now thinking about all that you've done through us and, and the pity that you've shown to us and how little we deserve it. In fact, not at all. We don't deserve it at all. We, when you're angry, then we can say, I deserve that. But compassion for, you, for your heart to be moved by the needs of the people in this congregation, um, that is a wonder that you would um, minister to us by your presence is a wonder, that you would come to us. We don't come to you, you come to us. That's a wonder for which we praise you. And we ask now that you would enable us to go out of here um, thinking about the pity of Christ so that we might show pity to others. Remembering that he showed pity to a people who didn't have any real concern for him other than that he could do some amazing work and yet he still showed them pity. Help us to be like that. We pray especially for our officers as we think about this month when there's uh, pastor's um, recognition or whatever. Um, Lord, we ask that, that you, you would shine a light on all of, all of your men, every elder and every deacon who does his work well. Um, that please, we pray... Um, let them know your smile and your joy and the tireless work that they do. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.